Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour. Glad you're with us alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton, David Reed, and Jacob Swanson making the show happen for us. Ellie Sylvia, our production assistant. Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, down the halls. We broadcast live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We head to Tampa Bay. Buccaneers and Titans with a joint practice that has wrapped up from the morning session. And Paul Kaharski is there covering every snap. And we get the full Titans report as we kick off the Tennessee Power Hour. And we check in with Paul with a beautiful Yeehaw hat uh, that he has on display. Paul, hope everything is well in Florida. Going well. Uh, 82-year-old Tom Moore, the offensive guru. Who uh, famous maybe mostly for his work with Peyton Manning, now here with Bruce Arians, uh, is walking around these three fields. He just walked by right here, still getting his daily exercise, apparently. Very, very admirable. The massive Buccaneers flag waving just ever so slightly in the background. It's a picturesque Paul Koharski today when from Paul Buccaneers started, camp. When Paul started with 82-year-old Tom, I thought he was going to make a Tom Brady old joke oh. <laughs> at that point, how old Tom Brady is, but it was 82-year-old Tom Moore. What did, uh, what did Brady look like today, Paul? I, I've seen where some, some of the secondary received some praise from him on Twitter with some confusing looks that the Titans tried to show him. Also, I've seen where he and Gronk connected on a few deep passes today. Yeah, I mean, he had his moments of precision, as you would expect. Um, but the, the, the Bucks' offense was not, uh, by any stretch, clicking um, uh, on all fronts today. He threw a couple picks. Um, Titans, Titans confused him at times, and he was very complimentary of their defense. Now, he would have been complimentary of a- anybody that's coming here to visit. But he said, you know, they, they complicated things. They're, they're aggressive. They're, they're hungry. Um, and they do the things that good defenses do. Um, and that wouldn't have expected him to say any less. But he, he was not at his sharpest today by any means and talked about coming back tomorrow and doing better. Um, and I would expect the Titans will see better from he and his teammates tomorrow. Um, meanwhile, the Titans, you know, not at full strength. I think, uh, I don't know if it took any air out of their sails, um, but it, there was not a lot of buzz or a lot of hop here. I'm not sure how many fans you could kind of see behind me under under that long tent. Mm, yes, uh, across the back there. That's that's for fans and uh, season ticket holders somehow get entry here uh, occasionally. They were here today, but they weren't crackling uh, at all. Um, you know, every once in a while somebody screamed Tampa, and some people uh, you know responded with Bay. But it wasn't much, um, you know, and a couple big plays got a smattering of uh, oohs and ahs. But uh, th- this was not a crackling practice by any means. Um, and I, th- I thought there'd be more life. And I think part of that from the Titan side comes with A.J. Brown and, and Julio Jones, not not part of it. Um, I, I think we thought Julio Jones wouldn't be part of it, but I think we were a little bit surprised that A.J. Brown wasn't a part of it. I, 
I kind of walked uh, early permission I got to go over and, and watch them. And I was disappointed, obviously, when A.J. Brown wasn't dressed. No Nate Davis either. Darrington Evans out. Dane Crookshank, Tucker McCann, Danico Autry, Matthias Farley, and Jeff Swaim also missing, along with Ben Jones. Ben Jones and Nate Davis out, Paul. How did the offensive line fare in, in practice number one? I have to be honest, Hutt, I didn't watch too, too much offense. <laughs> we did joke from uh, – from the field where a lot of us were watching the defense and occasionally watch the offense. There was one period before which whoever was snapping, and I don't know who it was, I think it was somebody beyond Munyer, uh, was snapping to Tannehill before the, the, before the period started. And we were, we were doing voiceovers. Hey, Super Bowl champs, before we start this period, let us see if we can get down the uh, basic center to quarterback exchange to be able to handle your dominant Super Bowl winning front. Um, so, uh, I, I think they held up in terms of pass protection. Um, there were some run plays, but the, the, the offense that I got to see up close was red zone in particular. Uh, they were not running the ball well in, in red zone. They got stuffed uh, a lot. Brian Hill ultimately found some room, but they were, um, were generally running into a brick wall, but finding stuff in, in the passing game, uh, the same way that they find stuff in the passing game at home against their, against their own people. Last Thursday, or was it Friday? I can't remember. Last Wednesday, uh, Vrabel said that Caleb Farley was not ready to play in the preseason game against Atlanta. Full padded practice today, Caleb Farley was a big participant against Tampa Bay. And you say you feel like he's coming on a bit. He had some good snaps against Mike Evans. Well, I came away from it thinking, and I knew I had uh, a lot of video of one-on-ones, which was the last good thing that we could film. I came away from that, Hut, thinking he really did a pretty good job staying in phase with these receivers, but was still a little bit clumsy about finding the ball or knowing exactly where he was. And I asked Vrabel a question about that, and he said, I'll kind of have to take your word for it, um, but then commented on it. Uh, I got word to him later that uh, upon review of the film, um, I, I had to change change my take. Hey, Peter, real quick. Yes. You just say hello to my guys. Peter King here, checking hey. in on the Titans. Oh, nice. What'd nice. you think about? What'd you think about uh, what you saw from the Titans? I was real quick standing. Today? I was sitting right over here in the media thing, and I saw three consecutive Ryan Tannehill uh, contested catches to young receivers. Uh, Who's that? Uh, oh, Carlos Rogers, right? Uh, Chester Rogers. Chester Rogers. Sorry, Chester Rogers. Uh, you're the rookie. Marcus Johnson. I forget uh, the guy Jess who they're kind of counting. No, the other uh, McMath. Uh, Racy McMath. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There were and and so there were three catches against Tampa's ones right over here in this corner. Look, none of us know what's going to happen, but it's interesting to see. I think the Titans' offense had a pretty good day even without, you know, the great Julio you and, know, AJ. And, and AJ. And, uh, and I, I think a, a thing like this is really, really good for young players because when are they going to have a chance to be able to come up against a different team and go full speed other than in the game? And in the game, you might not be facing the ones. Those young guys played the ones who just won the Super Bowl. Yeah, pretty That's well. a great, it's a great thing for, and I mean, Mike Grable has to be really, really happy that, you know, how competitive 
uh, that offense was today. What's I mean, your overall feel for this team in a crowded AFC? Well, my overall feel is that everybody's chasing Kansas City, uh, that Kansas City is the king of the hill, but that a couple of things can happen. Number one, injuries, and number two, what if I told you that Julio Jones plays 17 games? And <clears throat> what if I told you that Derrick Henry played 15 to 17 games? If those things happen, it's going to be hard to beat the Tennessee Titans. It really is. Because I'm assuming A.J. Brown is going to be fairly healthy. He's a young kid. But, you know, I think, you know, there's so many ifs. But I, I like the Titans. I did not pick them that high when I graded the teams in the offseason. But I think I'm going to be a little higher on them uh, when I pick right before the season. Appreciate you popping in. Paul, all the best to you. Good luck. Thanks, thanks Take care. So, Peter King with the check-in. That's great, there. yeah. He was on. Uh, he was on my flight. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Dominic Bonvasudo. Bon uh, he used to write for a weekly in Tennessee, and then he went to SI.com, where he edited Peter's column, and he left SI.com, but he continued to edit Peter's column to this day. He went to LA, and now he's back in Nashville. And his mother passed away. Condolences, Dom. Um, and so Peter uh, scrapped his plan. Such a nice guy, and he, he diverted to Nashville. Uh, so he's in Nashville yesterday for the funeral, and then he flew here to resume his his trip. So I talked to him at the airport for a bit yesterday, and I knew he was going to be here today, and I was hoping that would happen. So, no, that was that was very cool, Paul. I, I'm interested in um, facilities uh, with Tampa. I'm, I'm looking behind you. There's an enormous Tampa Bay Buccaneers flag flying behind you. Just broad strokes, looking at their setup, looking at their facility. How does it compare to what you see in Nashville? Let me show you, Chad. So, so this is their main building over here, right? You can see the long, that's the long office building. There's an extra building over there, which I think is their weight, maybe. And then we came across, right, that tent underneath the flag is a fan building. And then over here beside me, I don't know how well you can see that, behind that tent, that's kind of their field house uh, and, and maybe their locker rooms where they work out. So uh, they got a lot of space with these three fields. There's more space between their three fields than the Titans have. It's a more spacious thing. I'll also tell you that like the Titans, they are on a little bit of a lake. And hmm. uh, I was going to walk over here later, yeah. but you can see this water over here. Um, Donald Page, Titans photographer, George Walker from the Tennessee slash USA Today, good friend of mine. Both got a shot of the alligator. Uh, apparently, there are two of them, but there's one of them that lives over here. And if he was, in fact, where he was earlier, I was going to walk over there and do some of this broadcast, trying to get him over my shoulder. But um, he is no longer on the banks of the water. He is apparently uh, in the water. Uh, I checked before we came on the air. So um, I thought that would have been a delightful thing. We'll have to settle for Peter King as opposed to the alligator. My apologies. I did. I tried, boys. I tried. Hey, as you, as you pull up, is it obvious who the Super Bowl champions are as you pull up to the practice facility? Well, so you can't see it, but kind of beyond that flag, if I've got my bearings, is the stadium. Uh, you, can, you can walk it from here pretty easily. There's like a few office buildings and a Panera where I risked it, boys. I ate a bagel this morning uh, after <laughs> finding no, no food at the hotel. I tried to break off chunks and eat on this side of my mouth. Um, for those who don't know, last time I ate bagels, I broke a crown, thanks to Sarah and Regan. Um, and on all four corners of that, I presume I saw two of them. It 
there is a giant sign that says Super Bowl champs. So you cannot be in this vicinity, uh, north, south, east, or west, and not get the messaging. So it's very clear. PK, checking in from Bucks and Titans training camp, the joint practice taking place today in Tampa Bay. It takes place tomorrow as well. Paul, uh, last or two years ago, whenever the Patriots were here in Nashville, Brady had some would, would take some jabs uh, at Vrabel. Vrabel would do the same with him. Any of that early on in practice today? You know, because you have to get a chip in order to be at practice here, um, and because the Bucks were out on the field already doing some work when the Titans arrived by bus, I don't know. I know uh, Brady and Vrabel worked together on the field a little bit afterwards, but there's a lot of space to cover here, and so you had a choice kind of to watch the playfulness there or to get, get the hell over there where Vrabel was going to talk when the time came um, or, or be where conversations were going on and stuff. Pre-practice, I doubt it because – um, Brady was already throwing and doing some early drills with the Bucks back there when the Titans came in o- over there. Um, I'll tell you <laughs> the logistics of it. Like I was at, down at that end of the building waiting for entrance, get my credential, have to wait for a Titans person to bring chips. The Titans person was on the bus that came in down there, and I wanted to shoot the Titans people coming in down there. So I got permission to run all the way around this field like Tom Moore's doing and go down there and shoot the Titans people coming in. And then after that settled down a little bit, I went all the way back around to go get my chip over there. And then I came all the way back over here <laughs> to start watching some more stuff. So there was some sweat um, and, some, and some movement. But I think the early interaction because of the COVID stuff and, uh, and, and the like was less than it typically would have been. Um, Ryan Tannehill, for instance, said that he didn't get a chance to, to talk to Brady today. I would imagine they might get a chance to talk tomorrow. But even Tannehill, um, you know, Vrabel, when he began talking to us, told Stretch, hey, hold the bus for Tannehill because he's got to talk to these guys after I do. And they would have been out of here quicker than that if they could have been. Coming up, we'll discuss Tannehill with the wide receivers oh, yeah. who did practice today. He's got a great rapport going with Marcus Johnson and others. We'll get PK's take on that. Uh, plus, we'll dive into the Titans' defense and how they fared against Brady and the Bucks. Uh, sounds like they did fairly well. well. We'll talk Farley in particular, but we'll branch out some as well and get into Elijah Molden, who had an interception today, and much, much more. It's all straight ahead as we're live in Tampa. PK reporting on Titans and Bucks practice and Outkick 360. Outkick 360, live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Brewery, Old Smoky Distillery, alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton, Paul Kaharski in Tampa Bay. Beautiful, sunny Florida as the Bucks and the Titans held a joint practice today. They'll do the same tomorrow. Preseason game on Saturday evening at Raymond James Stadium. Paul, Caleb Farley played well. Who else in the secondary stood out to you today? I thought Fulton was kind of up and down. Uh, there were times that he was a little bit too handsy. Uh, seemed like he, you know, was on the verge of, of committing penalties and thinking about it. I, I feel like he's still sorting some some things out. Um, got plays from Jack Rabbit Jenkins. I misidentified um, uh, uh, Farley on an interception that Gronkowski went up in the air, hit it off his right hand, he hit it off his left hand. It was like a volleyball thing. And Jack Rabbit streaked up the side and uh, and picked it off. We were really blocked by the Titans. 
crowding that sideline and not not following the directions to stay back there. Um, so he made a play. Um, Molden had a good interception of Tom Brady that I've tweeted out where he undercut a route um, and made a really nice play. Amani Hooker had an interception of Tom Brady, uh, also kind of low to the ground um, on a on a short on a short pass, the kind of pass that typically I think a quarterback would throw, thinking that uh, either my guy's going to go down and get this, or or it's going to be incomplete into the ground. But Hooker wasn't having any of that, so uh, sporadic plays. But there were also stretches sometimes. Tom Moore, lap number three, um, also times that uh, Brady would make, you know. 10 completions in a row, sometimes underneath. Here's a view of Tom Moore. Do you see him? Yes, yes. Well, you know, the legend. I should get him I should get him on the front side, not on the back side. But I'm trying to give you guys all the color. <laughs> uh, it's it's hard not to read into the, the success of the secondary today. It also, uh, I mean, that's a great sign. Also, uh, the, the wide receivers who did practice, Marcus Johnson continues to have a really good rapport, it seems, good timing with Tannehill. Uh, and, and Peter King mentioned Racy McMath. Chester Rogers con- continues to be consistent. That's what we want to see. What, what else can you tell us about the receivers in Tannehill against Tampa and what you saw? In, in their one-on-ones, uh, this I got secondhand. Nick Westbrook-Akina made at least one big play, and Chester Rogers was good. Then in this, uh, this period where I, I told you about the run game not mm-hmm. going well, Chester Rogers and Marcus Johnson continue to do what they've been doing, both making very good plays. Uh, Marcus Johnson at the left front pylon of the end zone uh, against good coverage. Chester Rogers uh, a yard or two in front of the post uh, against, you know, pretty, pretty good coverage uh, on fast plays, bang, bang plays. Both of them uh, making very nice catches. Pinckney had an opportunity um, it was a ball that kind of hung in the air going to the right side that I feel like a more athletic tight end might have been able to go up and, and wrestle away from the, from the big defender. I think it was a linebacker who was with him. Pinkney's just not that guy, and he, he's not going to be here. But uh, it was an opportunity for him to go and make a play that he was unable to go and make. But I thought the Titans' um, offense looked good in those periods. I will say, though, you know, we're on fields that are side by side here. We're watching from the end zone. Um, and I try, guys, not to try to watch both because if you try to watch both, you end up kind of watching neither. But you do glance over between plays. The Bucks at times were running three plays to the Titans' one play. Um, now, the Bucks may be a faster operating offense than the Titans, so that's not a uh, straight-out indictment, I wouldn't say. But... Uh, I, 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 we all kind of felt telling. The, the Bucks during that one-on-one period, Brady takes a snap, throws a ball, is back in shotgun getting another snap. It's hard to keep up with. Like I was like, oh, I'm going to take notes. No, I'm going to film. And, and you'll notice like on the Molden film I sent out, it starts with those guys already off the line of scrimmage because you're, you're, you film this one and you finish it, you hit stop, and the next one's already started. And... Um, you know, I'm not. I, I wasn't watching the Titans one on ones, but the Titans' offense was not moving at that pace in seven on seven or in mm. team, and the Bucks a much more furious pace. Again, I'm not saying that's an indictment, but Tannehill did say he wasn't satisfied with huddle to line of scrimmage pace, and that that's got to be better tomorrow. 
Paul, any good uh, ribbing between Vrabel and Tom Brady to report or any trash talk at all between the two teams? It did not seem like it. Um, and we were watching particularly uh, Jeffrey Simmons and Ryan Jensen thinking that that's where something could start. Um, but there was, there, was, there was nothing, Chad. So when I'm talking about there being no crackle uh, and, and no buzz, that's part of it. Now, Vrabel and Brady, uh, and both coaches stayed with their offense, by the way. Um, so Vrabel was with Tannehill, not with Brady. So there wasn't a lot of room for that. But um, didn't see any hints of that. And it would be more us seeing it than hearing it based on uh, the proximity or lack thereof. Uh, but speaking of Simmons, I- I'm working on a piece about Simmons uh, dealing with double teams. So I watched him a couple times against Jensen, who's a very good center, and whatever guard was next to him that Simmons was going at. And he was getting some – now, you know, this is a padded practice, but it's not, not game-like hitting still. He was getting some serious push on, on some snaps, which um, I thought was a really good sign for Jeffrey Simmons uh, in the context of a team that's kind of talked about, you know, guys being double teamed, kind of getting washed out sometimes and you having to find, uh, find your, your pressure or a receiver or a, a punt team tackle from somebody who's not doubled. Um, so I'm kind of exploring that and what I'm working on. And, and today I saw him several times <laughs> quite effectively move the, the pocket uh, against the double team, which is what you want. PK joins us from Titans training camp with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as we broadcast live here at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw and Old Smokey. Paul, the talk over the last week with the Titans defense has been Rashad Weaver. Did he show up today in the joint practice? I, I think he did. I didn't uh, – I, I did not – see as much from the edge as I saw from the interior and uh, and honestly it was harder to see things in tight quarters than it was in space so I've got more details for you about the corners I noticed him flash a, a couple times you can't help but see that length and the and the long arm up you know as he's coming around the corner and trying um, uh, to, to influence plays or get a hand up to bat a pass or things like that but um, I didn't notice the edge guys as much today as I noticed uh, the, the interior um, or even pressure wise. Some of the uh, some of the corners involved, Christian Fulton, for example, uh, was coming to help on a run play at one point in time, really got stood up by a tight end that didn't catch his number. But the jolted like uh, maybe a little bit surprised that that a, uh, a block of that caliber was delivered in that situation. I think he probably woke up to that the rest of the session. Um, but I'll, I'll, uh, I, I will look more for those edge guys tomorrow. They did have um, a period. Well, you know, they have some of those running periods that involve more of the front while the one-on-ones are going on with the pass that everybody's more focused on. And a lot of that, again, is about what's what's in proximity. And, uh, and that's filmable. So uh, I don't know. Should I, would you, should, we could, we could make a committed decision. Do we want to see pass rush tomorrow more than we want to see one-on-one receivers? I think if AJ Brown's out tomorrow, we'd like to see him go against, uh, go against the Bucks, uh, DBs. Yeah, I, I agree on that. If AJ's practicing and, uh, but yeah, let's it's always had the, it's hard to pass on the ball in the air. 
Yeah. Um, it, look, I, it, it's also a big storyline right now that Julio and AJ are not practicing um, because uh, among all the receivers that are in getting the work, to me, Julio – I was asked this last night. Should Julio Jones play in a preseason game if he's available? I absolutely say yes. He should get some snaps with Ryan Tannehill. It is imperative – that they, it, we're hearing all about Marcus Johnson and A.J. Brown. We know A.J. Brown and Tannehill have a great rapport with the timing and the routes. I want to see that get. I, I want to see that come together for for Tannehill and Julio Jones. And you can say, well, it's a, it's important about getting him ready for September the twelfth. I maintain it's important that they get off to a very quick start on September the twelfth. Julio not practicing is a bigger storyline than him just getting healthy for the regular season. They need to be on a nice rapport with their quarterback, and right now they're both watching from the sideline. Yeah, Tannehill talked today about what he can do with Julio and A.J. with them not out there, about how much they talk inside the building and look at stuff together and talk through. But talking through... Hot and Chad is if we all know you know you can you can talk up a storm in there but not timing things up like what you don't do out here can't be made up for no matter how right. many hours you're spending right. in there um, so I don't know Hot I'm nervous about him playing in a game if he can get those snaps under controlled circumstances they do outside against their top corners uh, you know in something that's, that that we don't even see um, you know, at a closed closed piece of practice, which closes after the 26th. Um, if they feel like they can get sufficient work of that in, that'd be great. Um, and I'd be okay with not risking, uh, you know, a bad landing or whatever. It'd be great if you played against Chicago. Um, there's a lot of time there. But you also got to have a lot of other starters playing too, you know. And so... Well, you know, is Jeff Sw- is Jeff Swaim out there? Is is the starting offensive line out there? It, it, you know, you got to have Ben Jones and and Nate Davis out there. It, if sure. the supporting cast is out there, then I'd feel all right about it. But, but, it, but it's as just, much as much time and effort though as we have spent discussing Todd Downing taking over for Arthur Smith and the big four that he inherits, we haven't seen the big four practice together yet. No, we haven't. We haven't. But I did ask you guys the other day if if they have those guys for a full practice week for Arizona, do you feel all right about it? You kind of said you did. So, um, no, not kind of. I do. But I I, I mean, maybe the plan all along is to not practice Julio Jones from the jump. And and they're going to have to really manage him during the season anyway. But I, I do think it's important that they get some reps as a full offense prior to week one. And right now it's not trending in that direction. No, it's not. But you never know what's going to happen uh, the game plan week before Arizona. Um, I don't think their plan was to not practice him because he was practicing. Not, not an all-out practice, mm-hmm. but still that individual period and the light seven-on-seven stuff he was doing is not insignificant. That, no, and I agree. That, I agree. Right. Those six, those six minutes with Tannehill and A.J. Brown and, uh, and, and Julio Jones – is kind of what I'm talking about. All that time you spend in the building, then you come out and say, okay, the top of the route is going to look like this and it's going to take this much time and blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, they probably did some of that at, at the walkthroughs that they do daily that aren't open to the press. And the combination of those two things is a lot more than nothing. It's not a lot, mm-hmm. but it is a lot more than nothing. Paul, we got to get a daily kicker update. How was the great Sam Ficken at uh, practice in Tampa today? 
he was good today, Chad, and he has really settled in. Now, the Bucks weren't rushing the Titans. Uh, this was a Titans-only period, so it was just like the same thing that they would do in Metro Center. But he kicked from uh, a variety of distances, uh, and he missed only one from, from 48. It's good from, we were estimating, 30, 30, 38, 42, 47, wide left from 48, 39, 30, 50, 33. So he made all but one from 48. I'll take nine for 10. Yep, absolutely. Based on what we've seen to begin camp, it, it seems as though uh, both guys were settling in, and McCann, who didn't practice today because of the injury in Atlanta, uh, continues to be on the men. Sam Ficken now has the opportunity ahead of him as they have the joint practice against Tampa in the preseason game this week. Marcus Johnson way, continues. I, yeah, go ahead. One thing on the kicker, uh, and I, I'm sure you picked up on it as well, Charles Davis, uh, Charles Davis, I think, said it, or one, one of the guys said that Mike Vrabel, uh, and this is a good detail for the broadcast to have, wanted them both to hit 200 kicks. Um, or his intention was to evaluate 200 kicks. So I, I haven't sat down and kind of sketched out, you know, if they're trying 10 to 12, usually it's around 10 to 12 on a kicking day, which I would estimate is two out of three days. I wonder how close they are to 200. Ficken obviously came in late. He's going to come up short of that. Uh, but now McCann's chopping off days for uh, injury. Right. But I wonder, I wonder where they are in the ballpark at 200. Paul, Marcus Johnson continues to shine. Uh, I'm curious. We, look, we know A.J. Brown, Julio Jones. Uh, we know Josh Reynolds and Marcus Johnson are on this roster. If they keep six, who are the other two, considering that they have two rookies right now? They also have Nick Westbrook-Akina, Chester Rogers, who is on this roster right now based on what he's done in camp, at least I would presume so. Cam Batson is getting more and more opportunities. How are they going to pick and choose who to keep at the back end of the wide receiver position? Yeah, who's the best special teamer? Almost always wins that. So if we're saying... Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Josh Reynolds, Chester Rogers, and Marcus Johnson. And I feel pretty comfortable with those five. Who's six? Um, it can't, you know, it can't be Des Fitzpatrick right now. He's, he's he just simply not good enough. He doesn't have a case. He played a little bit of gunner today, but they threw a lot of gunners out there today. I have a funny special teams moment in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Nick Westbrook. Akina uh, did some things today. Maybe he's resurfacing a little bit. Racy McMath would be a lot about being gunner. And I don't really love a six receiver that's just up to play gunner. Cam Batts and Mason Kinsey. Mason Kinsey's been the best of that group, I, I would say, in recent weeks. Um, Batson, if you like him as a double return guy, even if he's not your starter, and for the jet sweep thing, I think that's pretty wide open. Nick Westbrook-Akina may be the best player of that group. This is going to sound like a knock on Mason Kinsey. Mason Kinsey has had a really nice camp. It's just the wrong year to have a nice camp with the Tennessee Titans right now at wide receiver. That's, that, I, mean, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. And here's the other thing about Mason Kinsey. Look, Mason Kinsey, um, you know, you could throw the white guy stereotype on him, but he's kind of a quintessential slot receiver, right? Well... Yeah, the Titans could have used the slot receiver last year once uh, once they lost Adam Humphreys, and he was cut by the Patriots twice off their practice squad during a season where they lost Julian Edelman after five or six games. Now I think he's probably significantly better now than he was when the Titans cut him coming out of camp. 
and when the Patriots cut him those two times. But I just feel like if the Patriots couldn't grow him into that guy when they've got a history of growing those guys, I tend to think like people have seen a ceiling. Paul, what is the proper level of disappointment if Des Fitzpatrick, a fourth-round pick, is the one that's cut? Because there was a lot of anxiety about not getting a receiver earlier in the draft. And fans thinking, hey, they waited too long to go receiver. They get Des Fitzpatrick to some fanfare because he had a good career at Louisville. If he's cut as a fourth-round pick in year one, how bad is that for the Titans? They, they traded up to get him to, Chad. This is a great, great topic. Here's my thinking. I, I, from what I gathered, scrap seventh-rounders. In the last two years, eight players drafted um, – Eight drafted players have been cut at cut-down day. I think they've been drafted maybe one-third rounder and the rest are fifth and sixth rounders. One of them has been claimed off waiver. So I don't really understand the huge fear factor about Des Fitzpatrick being claimed for starters. Secondly, if you lose them, you lose them. I mean, some sucker team's got to have them on their roster for three weeks. Great for them. Mm-hmm. Look, it's a miss at this stage. He's got to be further along than he is. So that's disappointing. You traded up for him. The one justification I could have for trading up for him, and they did this with Dane Crookshank, so I don't think it works. But this is my understanding of what might happen with Des Fitzpatrick is, and it's definitely what happened with Dane Crookshank. They have a batch of safeties or a batch of wide receivers, and say he's the last guy in that batch. And so you say, we either move up to get Dane, Fitz, uh, Dane uh, Crookshank or Des Fitzpatrick, or we're going from that pod, the last guy in that pod, to the next pod. And we feel like the next pod is substantially a step down from that pod. Now, you can argue with the scouting, Chad, of course, on that, right? Now, I'm setting the scouting aside. Their rationale could be, hey, we need to get, be sure that we get a guy out of that pod. And a Dane Crookshank is the last guy available in that pod. A Des Fitzpatrick is the last guy available in that pod. So we're going to be aggressive because we came into this draft saying we're getting a guy out of that pod. Now, I think if you're John Robinson and you're honest with yourself, I'd prefer that he cut the guy instead of keeping him over somebody better. And I think you could legitimately say, given a COVID year, we did not have a full sense of what we had in Marcus Johnson and Chester Rogers. And I had no idea these guys were going to come out here and be as good as they've been. So I'm going to, I'm not going to say like, you know, flex my muscle, give me credit, but the Titans do deserve credit for having found Marcus Johnson and Chester Rogers. Chester Rogers was hurt last year. He's on the practice squad. Marcus Johnson came in and is better than they could have expected. And so I'm willing to, to say, if you're going to make sensible cuts based on what you have right now, don't keep the fourth-round draft pick who's not as good. Keep these two guys who were fines, and it doesn't matter how you assemble the roster. We've seen regimes that would keep a draft pick at all costs. They have two guys who are better than that draft pick who deserve to stay ahead of that draft pick, and it turns out all that panic about receiver gets solved well, by what? trading for Julio Jones if he's healthy and by the fines of these two guys who didn't cost draft capital. Now, you should have got something with that fourth-rounder also, but you didn't. Well, I mean, yes, the, those two guys have been better and they found them. But the problem with Des Fitzpatrick is that Mason Kinsey and Racy McMath and Nick Westbrook-Akina have, have also been better also than him. Also been better. 
That's the issue. It's not that uh, Marcus Johnson is better right now as the fourth receiver. It's that Des Fitzpatrick isn't worthy of being number six. No, it's it's a problem. I, I mean, it's a miss. But, uh, you know, if the rest of the draft turns out to be all right, I'm trying to think of the 19 draft was the good one, right? There was one dud in the middle of there somewhere. So, yeah. Hopefully this is that. I don't think the guy clears way. I, I mean, I think the guy clears waivers. You put him on your practice squad and maybe, you know, next year he's Chester Rogers or Marcus Johnson. I don't know. But right now they don't they don't need what he has to offer because they have a lot of better options. Drafted the round ahead of Fitzpatrick was Monty Rice, who went down today. I, I try not to read into the tweets that say that he's carted off because sometimes that can mean just distance, sheer distance from the practice field to the facility. Uh, or, or to get them into the wh- wherever it might be. Uh, what what happened with Monty Rice, and is it serious? I think he would have liked to have been carted off the field, but um, but that they really wanted to keep this thing moving along, uh, okay. and they were very encouraging that he get up and get off. So he was aided significantly to get off. Looked like lower right leg. I'm thinking probably ankle, maybe bone lower leg bone i don't know i don't know exactly what happened but uh i was surprised that they hustled him to the degree that they did and i was not surprised that they um put him on a cart shortly thereafter and got him off it was a long way it was uh not too far beyond that goal post on that third field but um he, he was in a lot of pain I, I mean i don't i not like oh that guy's season's over pain but mm-hmm. like he's not gonna be out he's not gonna be out here tomorrow well, that's, it's, it's another opportunity for David Long. I mean, if you're just looking at just where guys rank on a depth chart, David Long had a really nice game against Atlanta, uh, had the interception, did some things in pass coverage we haven't seen from him, especially in zone coverage. Uh, he's improving in year three. Monty Rice drafted, and I mentioned I wanted to see him compete with David Long. Now that Monty Rice is down, at least for a, a, the short term, at least, another opportunity for David Long to ensure that he's next man up at that middle linebacker spot. And another guy who, uh, Nick DeZubnar, resurfaced mm. at that Friday night practice, right? He was in Nashville mm-hmm. for an hour. Uh, Monday night practice, excuse me. The days get jumbled. Um, you know, it was a special teams player for this team last year where you had they went pretty deep at inside linebacker if you think about it because they had Long as a legitimate backup and then they had the Zubnar, Bates, Compton all playing special teams. Now they could head in a direction where they have an extra wide receiver or an extra safety where by the way they can't stay healthy right now or an extra um, you know what but the Zubnar I think now is competing not against other inside linebackers he's competing with back end guys at other positions for a final special teams slot um and so he's got a chance of making the team because right now um you know you got the two starters in evans and brown and you got the two backups in long and rice will there be a fifth inside linebacker there's not a necessity for a fifth inside linebacker because those two guys should be pretty should good be. Depth yeah yeah in terms of stepping in but the fifth outside linebacker could be a non- defensive player who plays special teams and then would give you some depth if somebody got hurt i would think this is the, the leader of the pack there jan johnson i mean we <laughs> joked about not not knowing not who knowing that him. was i know yeah. i know one local media guy put him on his roster because he was looking for a fifth inside linebacker i'm not looking for a fifth inside linebacker that hard to put jan johnson on 
I just really hope that we're saying Jan correctly and it's not Jan. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't hey, know either. Maybe yeah. he's Nordic. I don't know. <laughs> hey, uh, leave us with uh, the special team. There was a quirky play on special teams in a punt, da- uh, punt downing situation. What did you note there? I thought this was pretty funny. So I mentioned that on Twitter that Reynolds was with the punt returners. Well, all the punt returners were doing was letting the ball bounce and letting the two gunners come down and try to down the ball at the goal line. So Elijah Molden uh, was gunning with Chris Jones, and Molden came down and made a great athletic play, jumping into the end zone, getting two hands on the ball, and throwing it backwards to keep it in bounds, where conceivably Jones would have downed it. The trouble was that uh, Cody McElroy, who was the punt returner, intercepted what Molden threw back, grabbed it facing the goal line, and took off, which was a very clever play for this drill. In real life, it would have got him killed. Because if he caught that and turned, he would have been met by the rest of the punt return team who would have buried him, maybe with a safety or certainly pinning him at the two-yard line. The rest of that punt team wasn't coming down on this drill. But in the moment, it was very clever. He's like, you're going to throw it back? I'm going to catch it like it's the punt? Go. Uh, Very entertaining in the moment. Elijah Molden made a great play there like he did with the pick. What's the schedule like tomorrow in Tampa, and uh, what what does Arians and, and Vrabel hope to accomplish in, in practice number two ahead of the preseason game? Well, Arians, I just caught the beginning of him uh, walking by this tent to grab my stuff to go talk to the Titans over there. Arians was starting this press conference. Our friend Sarah Walsh was a little bit late arriving, and he was giving her a hard time. He's like, come on, Sarah, like he waited to start until she was there. And uh, he's, he's opened up by saying, like, we're just dropping the ball all over the place. It's absolute nonsense. He was throwing some curses around. So his plan is for them to catch more footballs tomorrow. And they did. Like, they dropped a lot of balls that the Titans were not influential on. Um, that has to be better from a Bucks standpoint. That, that element of their game did not look like defending Super Bowl champions. So I expect uh, that will improve. I think Brady's probably pissed off, which is not – not a good scenario for the Titans. <laughs> I will focus more on the Titans' offense tomorrow. I'm holding out hope that A.J. Brown will join them. But even if he doesn't, I'm looking forward to seeing more up close of, um, of these guys who are, are stepping in and taking advantage of the opportunity. Um, and we'll see a little bit of Derrick Henry, at least early. He wasn't in the team stuff. But uh, may- maybe early on we'll, we'll see uh, what he can do with some, some thudding. Because I'm sure all these guys are going to be uh, wound down after that practice and uh, be standing on the sideline at Raymond James Stadium on Saturday night. PK joins us tomorrow and on Friday live from Tampa. Paul, enjoy sunny Florida. Uh, We've got the parlay coming up. We're going to win some money, and uh, we'll check in with you tonight. Great to be with you guys. I enjoyed it. We'll see uh, if we get this flag behind me tomorrow. i come up with something else. Paul, get Sarah Walsh to join you tomorrow. She's not going to be here, and she had to scurry today. Unfortunately, mm. timing didn't work out. You had to settle for Peter King today. I'll see what I can do tomorrow. <laughs> All right, Polly. PK checking in from Tampa. See you. Sarah Walsh on Friday is what I just heard. Yeah. Sarah Walsh on Friday. That's right. That's right. Coming up, the 360 parlay with a twist. We'll tell you who's selecting today. That's next on Outkick 360. Let's win today. The 360 Daily Parlay from FanDuel.com slash OK360. That's where you can go and join us on tonight's parlay. Ellie Sylvia, our production assistant, with a winner. A winner in Major League Baseball. Angels money line, 
Astros minus one and a half as they take on the Royals. Uh, you got Grinky on the mound there. Give the runs. Also, the White Sox. Top team in baseball. Chad has a future bet on the White Sox winning the World Series. Guess what, Chad? They're winning tonight. Ellie's taking them to win tonight against the Oakland A's. We've got plus 388 on the odds. $5 bet is going to pay out $24.43. Well, the goal is to win every day, but we don't always accomplish it when it comes to daily parlay. The knowledge today is that we will win with Ellie Sylvia's daily parlay and because Ellie did so much research on this parlay. I saw her there crunching numbers. She was looking at you know daytime versus nighttime statistics. She was looking at everything for those games. So we feel very confident in today's daily parlay. Analytics expert, Ellie Sylvia, with today's 360 parlay. You could be an expert as well. She's the Paul D. Podesta of and, this show. Uh, it doesn't take an expert to figure out that this is a great deal. Risk-free bet. First-time users. Risk-free bet with FanDuel.com slash OK360. Follow the link on the screen. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Risk-free bet up to $1,000, which means, Chad, if you bet $1,000 on your first bet at FanDuel and you lose, you will get the money back in site credit to use on a future bet. And if you win up to $1,000, you're keeping the money. It's risk-free, as you like to say. If you were watching the show right now and you were not signed up with FanDuel and you do not have an account, and we just laid out all of that great information for you about the $1,000 risk-free bet and you still haven't signed up, what are you doing? What are you waiting on? Now is the time. Get off your ass. Sign up. <laughs> do it. It's a $1,000 risk-free bet. Make it happen right this second. FanDuel.com slash OK360. You. you can also go to the screen right now. Put your hand on the screen, and it's, it's that simple. You can risk-free up to $1,000 with FanDuel.com. You can also join us in person in Knoxville, September 2nd. We're kicking off the Outkick and Fox College Football Bus Tour with Outkick, Outkick 360, and Fox. We are on the road with the Tennessee Volunteers to begin. We then go to Charlotte on September the 4th for Clemson and Georgia, and that's just the first weekend of college football. And if you are going to be in Knoxville or Charlotte and want to be a part of any VIP activities with Outkick, let us know. Uh, there will be some perks for VIP members. Outkick After Party, Uptown Bar and Grill, on the Strip, Cumberland Avenue, in Knoxville. That will be after the game, right when the game ends, Thursday night, September 2nd, Tennessee and Bowling Green. Hutton, we will be there with Outkick 360, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's right. Important show note. We are moving times, 2 to 5 Central, 3 to 6 Eastern. It starts the Monday of that week, August 30th. We'll be hammering that home, telling you more about that in the next couple weeks. But that Thursday, September 2nd, we will have our own Outkick 360 version of a college football pregame show, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Strip in Knoxville, Uptown Bar and Grill. Really looking forward to it. Hoping a big crowd will be on hand as we get ready to kick off the college football season. And how sweet of a time this is, Hutton, that we're going to have actual games to talk about very soon. Well, and, and we're, we're, take, we're taking this on the road. You know, we're not going to be sitting here analyzing games. We're going to do that during the week. Uh, and we, we can't wait to do that for college and pro. But now we get to go out and tailgate with the, the Outkick and Fox bus, uh, take it on the road, and be live on the weekend from the biggest games across the South. And it starts with a massive top five matchup as Clemson takes on Georgia. And, and one of the, the biggest rivals for Georgia historically has been Clemson. 
Uh, first time ever that they'll meet as two top five ranked teams across the country, and it's at right out of the chute. Theory for you. This is great for Georgia because if they beat Clemson out of the, out of the gate, you take them, they're, right, they, they're the lead dog in the SEC. They've been chasing Alabama, right? Yep. You beat Clemson. They only have one other top 25 opponent currently on their schedule. What a massive game for the Georgia it's Bulldogs. big if. they got to beat Clemson. Because if not, it's going to be the same old uh, you know, Kirby Smart is yes. never going to win a national championship type talk if they lose that game. And let me say this also. We're in Knoxville that Thursday night with the show, and I love my alma mater. That's going to be the worst game in terms of matchup we go to all year, right? Tennessee Bowling Green, we're there because that's the kickoff of the season. We're close by on the way to it's Charlotte way. for Clemson, Georgia, <laughs> yeah. which is top five. So, I mean, people may be seeing that thing, Tennessee and Bowling Green. <laughs> Couldn't come up with a better matchup for the first one. On the way to Charlotte. Uh, it's a great way to kick things off for Thursday night, and people get excited about football on a Thursday night to kick off the season. We're going to be there for you in Knoxville, Tennessee Bowling Green, but – that's just the prelude to matchups like Clemson, Georgia, in Charlotte, and other SEC matchups that we're going to be at without kick all season long. Chad, look at the time. In a matter of 45 seconds, the alarm on Sleepy Danny's phone is going to go off. He will wake up and start editing video for the show that posts on Instagram, on Twitter, and across all the OutKick platforms. It's almost time for him to wake up. Shout out to Becca Risley making it happen today. It's also good news for Danny that this current showtime lines up perfectly with his uh, midday siesta <laughs> where he's asleep. But now that we're moving times, he's going to be wide awake. I'm not even sure if for they the knew entirety we were moving the show. times. Do they even know that? The just, they just learned this. For the entirety of the show. Danny still doesn't know. It's not my problem. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to figure it out. I'm not, <laughs> we'll let Paul let him know. I'm not chief communication director <laughs> of any of these companies. I, I do as I'm told, and I've been, we've been told a while back. So. Shout, uh, shout out to Ellie making it happen. Figure we're, it out. We've got the debrief on Instagram. We're about to go live there. Uh, thank you to David Reed, Jacob Swanson, Jakob Swanson, making it happen. Lance Lee, feel better. Big thanks to 6th and Peabody as well. Great host here for the 6th and Peabody broadcast studios with Yeehaw and Old Smokey. Back at it tomorrow for OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.